0: Hello friends, Gabby with you from My Possible Self, the mental health and well-being app that uses clinically certified contents to help you manage your own mental wellness journey. Today's guest, I have been so excited about putting her on your radar for literally months. Dr. Uma Nadu is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist regarded nationally and internationally as a pioneer in the field of nutritional psychiatry. In her role as a clinical scientist, Dr. Nadu founded and directs the first hospital-based clinical service in nutritional psychiatry in the US. She's also a professional and passionate chef, therefore very much practices what she preaches with the patients, creating yummy dishes to feed their minds and their moods. Dr. Uma is author of The Food Mood Connection, an incredible book which takes an in-depth look at how food affects our mental health. Note to our friends listening in the United States, across the pond, the book is called This Is Your Brain on Food. In the book, which I could not put down and you're about to hear me seriously fangirl over to Dr. Uma, she breaks down the 10 most common mental health illnesses – depression, anxiety, PTSD, ADHD, dementia, OCD, insomnia and fatigue, bipolar and schizophrenia and loss or lack of libido. And then she takes a deep dive at the foods and spices that both aggravate and alleviate symptoms. For example, did you know that blueberries can help you cope with the after effects of trauma? or that salami can cause depression, or eating fresh soybeans whole may help with cognition in people with Alzheimer's, or that eliminating gluten might ease some OCD symptoms. It's all in the book, along with some mouth-watering menu examples to help you maximise your diet for your mind. Dr. Uma Nadu has been asked by the American Psychiatric Association to author the first academic text in nutritional psychiatry. And something tells me she's on the cusp globally of really changing the way we view and consume our food. So let's get into the episode. This is Food for Your Mood with Dr. Uma Nadu. This has become my bible. <laughs> oh, well, thank you! I'm glad you like it. Thank you so much. I absolutely love it. It's incredible. I could find girl out for the next forty minutes, but <laughs> thank you. That's oh, so God. sweet. Thank you. I've got a job today, yeah. but I will start with this, Doctor Umunadi. Thank you so much for graciously giving us some of your time today. You are becoming a bit of a hero of mine, and I'm not just saying that to suck up to you or anything it's true this this book the food mood connection as it's called in the UK put it this way I have just moved back to the UK and I have pretty much given away 90% of my things most of my books but I brought this book back with me and I'd already read it because it's something I'm gonna go back to and go back to Thank you, Gabby. Let's just talk a little bit about you. You're a triple threat: Harvard-trained psychiatrist, professional chef, science and nutrition experts, and you've thrown this combination into the blender to produce the most incredible book. So I am just very much excited to um, to dive into nutritional psychiatry with you because we are a mental health app, and. Mm-hmm. We just are still playing catch up in terms of like we know that food is important for our physical bodies, but less so about the impact it's having on our mental health. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Gabby, for the warm introduction. I appreciate it and I
1: appreciate you sharing my work across the fund and in the U and in the US. Always delighted to work with people who appreciate the book and the work because you know What that says to me is you get the purpose of the book, right? The mission, the greater story, which is that food is a very powerful tool. um, And here's why. You know, we go to our doctors, we talk about uh, type 2 diabetes, weight gain during COVID, the family history of hypertension, but we're not connecting, you know, how we felt the day before, after we ate lunch, or the fact that we had a headache that evening after eating a certain type of food, or having one too many glasses of wine, or whatever it might be, or maybe you were dehydrated, you know, you didn't drink enough water drinking day sitting on Zoom calls, we are not making that connection. And there's a very powerful connection between the mind or the brain and the gut. And physiologically, anatomically, biochemically, the brain and gut are connected uh, because they arise from the exact same cells in the human body. And then they divide up in life. So the new emerging science in the last two decades or so of the gut microbiome and the gut-brain connection has really brought forward this food mood connection. And I think that's extremely important for people to understand uh, so that they start paying attention to how they're
0: eating and then their emotional health as well. Hmm. You come with this wealth of information and experience, but it is still very digestible. And I, I actually really appreciated the way that you structured the book in terms of You break down 10 of the most common mental health illnesses and then you talk about the foods and spices to avoid and that would aggravate symptoms or even cause symptoms and then those that will help relieve or potentially prevent these illnesses and there's some common threads along the way in terms of like some foods which like for me i've added turmeric and black pepper to my diet every day now that was a big takeaway for right. me
1: awesome and and those are the sort of little hacks or little tips that i want people to take away because nutrition and nutritional psychiatry is not an overnight quick fix you know we tend to be very impatient in the u.s and we're always looking for a pill or a prescription you know, to fix something. And I think food is very powerful because it not only can help you over time, it's sustainable. Mm. Because if we think about nutrition and how we eating as a lifestyle change rather than, you know, let's lose 10 pounds before a TV uh, you know, award show, whatever it is. It it, it you know, it it's just it, it works for that short term, but it's not sustainable. Mm. And I think for the everyday human being like you and me, it's really about finding those healthy eating habits, adding children of black um, or other things that you can do to enhance your diet over time and really as best you can sort of clean up your diet by something to cut back and limit the those unhealthy foods in your diet that's part of it too but I am not an all or none person I think we we have to find that middle ground and that personalized nutrition plan for each one of us because mm. medicine is really moving in a more much more personalized way now Mm. and what works for you may not work for me and we need to think about it more carefully
0: yeah and I loved as well the fact that you said look this isn't a diet this is all the amazing foods you can add to what you're eating it's not about restricting and I was like
1: yeah exactly. um, people feel horrible when they have to restrict you know they don't feel good and, and so I think that becomes uh important for us to understand yeah. everything people feel you can add in stuff Mm-hmm. And that is uh, one way to not feel deprived. A lot of diets that say exclude this or eat this and eat that or give up this, I understand reasons behind it, but most people who consume many different things find that restrictive. And then what happens is they restrict and restrict that food. And then they have this boomerang effect or most of my patients do, where they go back and then they, they, they eat a large amount of that, that food. and. It, it just gets them back. Uh, it sort of reverses their progress.
0: Mm. And just picking up on something you mentioned before about how, you know, we might turn to like we're getting married or there's a milestone and we want to lose some weight or whatever it is. And so we turn to food and make some adjustments to try and get to whatever our goal is. But I think it's rarely ever, you know what, I'm sick of feeling so low or I'm sick of being fatigued or having brain fog, so I'm going to look at my diet. And you think, well, it seems so obvious. But yeah, what you're doing has suddenly sort of brought it to the, the forefront on a global scale now, because I know word is spreading fast about your your pioneering work. Thank you. When you were seeing your patients, because you have a passion for food, did you just Naturally, start making food suggestions in terms of like, hey, if you, if you try adding this to your diet, it might help with this? Or was there like a kind of light bulb moment where you were like, wait a minute, there's something quite big here that could be done?
1: You know, um, a lot of it goes back to two things. One, my childhood, how I was raised. I really grew up in a family that was um, very into science and medicine and allopathic medicine as well, Ayurvedic medicine. My mom, her siblings, and many members of the family were physicians, also into science but who also grew up around live nurturance and good, healthy food. And the grandmother, my mom was in medical school during the day, so I would hang out with my maternal grandmother to whom my book was dedicated. And I'd watch her, you know, or help her pick fresh vegetables from the garden and prepare this and really eat meals together with the family. You know, so some of that really came with me and understanding the holistic approach of yoga and meditation taught to me by my grandparents. But, you know, as I came to start and study psychiatry, I found that there was no, there was sort of nothing beyond the prescription pad or psychotherapies. And I certainly believe in both and they've saved the lives of many of my patients, but they're not the only thing that can help people. And research has shown that, you know, at least 50% of people don't get the benefit from medications and they have lingering side effects or they have ongoing symptoms that are simply not, not able to be, uh, cured by medications. And yes, we can add and change medications, but there need to be more solutions. And the real, real aha moment for me came when a patient kind of yelled at me very early on in my training. And I had prescribed an SSRI called Prozac, otherwise called fluoxetine, for depression. And Bill kind of came in, a big kind of burly construction worker, worked in the Boston area. And he kind of said, You know, doc, you caused me to gain weight and it's your fault and blah, blah, blah. And I knew looking at his medical record in front of me that it wasn't me. You know, he had already been at a sort of an unhealthy weight, let's call it. And the med- he hadn't really changed with the medication. Now, not that I can't cause that. It was, I knew at that moment, it, it technically wasn't the case, but I looked at what he was drinking. Gabini had, you know, if you've ever been to Boston, you love Dunkin' Donuts coffee. He had mm-hmm. this massive 20 ounce uh, coffee he was drinking. And I said, well, what did you put in your coffee? And that led to a very important conversation where I sat down with him at the computer and we worked out the number of empty calories he was consuming by having quarter to half a cup of processed creamer and eight teaspoons of sugar every single day. And just by showing him that calculation, I saw his eyes light up and that was my light bulb aha moment, because I saw him understand that he could make a change and someone was explaining to him, here are empty calories. You can do this differently. Mm. You can help, you know, lose weight in a, in a more effective way, just by changing a simple habit. He was very mindlessly adding these things to his coffee. And I realized the power of interpreting that information to a patient. And that really is what led me into a deeper dive in nutrition, asking these questions more often and really asking things that were somewhat out of the box. So not just the prescription and psychotherapies, but what you're doing for lifestyle. Do you know what mindfulness is? And, you know, I really practice a holistic and integrated approach. Um, And I I certainly hope it's helpful to people because we need more solutions in mental health.
0: Mm. Do you find when you're working with your clients, do you get much resistance or pushback? Because I still think there are so many people that just really think, oh, I'm not going to enjoy food if I eat healthily. Right.
1: So it's interesting. I think that, you know, mainstream medicine uh, in lifestyle medicine and functional medicine, they're always asking about lifestyle and, and nutrition. But in psychiatry, you know, my clinic is a specialty clinic. So people coming to me really want to work on this. So there's a self-selected group of individuals who basically want to address their health in a more global and holistic way. I don't think that every day, uh, that that the everyday person is thinking, oh, I can change this. And that's why it's so important to bring this information forward, Gabby. It's that if people understood at the end of their fork is a very A powerful tool Mm. that they can using every day because how many times do we eat every day, you know, Mm. that they can really be using, it would be much more powerful. Um, So yes, I don't think mainstream medicine is adopting this yet, but you know, all important movements start small and it's creating awareness, it's education, it's teaching, it's showing people how to eat healthier, how to do this differently, how to add spices that are powerful Mm. and building from there. You know, with a core group of people who believe it
0: like this are. Yeah. Speaking of which, an example that I noted was you referred to a study in 2017 demonstrating that 15 milligrams of saffron was as effective as 20 milligrams of Prozac in decreasing depressive symptoms, which is wild.
1: It's absolutely wild, and it's a great example one I often quote because um, it it shows the power of things we're not thinking about. Now, you know, in culinary way, if you were cooking a Richmondma kitchen, you know you would not be using that amount of saffron. It's not only a highly expensive spice, you don't use a few threads of saffron in a biryani, for example, or an Indian dish. But here's a great example of where a supplement may be appropriate to talk to your doctor about, because um, you can get that amount of saffron in a supplement mm-hmm. versus other times when I'll say food first. Mm-hmm. So not only is it powerful to know that. Is an option it's therefore information you can speak to your doctor about your gp or your psychiatrist and say i read about the study you know could i try the supplement because your doctor would be able to advise you any potential you know medications you're taking any concerns he or she may have and it's just always important to do that but cell phone is very powerful
0: mm. and when we think about eating our feelings traditionally yes. <laughs> that means you know if we're feeling low um the the, the cliched one is heartbreak where we turn to a tub of ice cream yeah um you know we've had a hard day we want a pizza there's many examples we could Mm -hmm. use but then again looking at your chapter on depression in the book the more sugar we eat the more likely we are to be depressed Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. also you talked about a study in japan that followed people consuming high-fat foods, and they were more likely to end up getting depression in their lifetime.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So here's the thing with with most of the conditions in mental health. The first thing you want to look at is the foods that you you know that you're leaning on a little bit too much. Maybe you've been feeling a little bit low. Maybe you've had to isolate from family and friends. Maybe you are in a situation where on under- quarantine is happening. Um, so much has happened in the world since COVID started. So start there first, because I think that what we, we need to understand about eating our feelings is that stress in the brain precipitates habit suffers. So when you go to that tub of ice cream over a heartbreak or a rough day at work or the pizza, whichever one it is, you know, you enjoy it, and then your brain and body want more. Now, there's also the fact that sugar and foods, so many savory foods actually contain sugar. Uh, a lot of fast food French fries actually contain sugar because research and development has taught the food industry that that makes them hyper palatable. So you buy your fast food French fries, you upsize, then you can't put it down. So all of that you know, also feeds into the fact that uh, we understand sugar. Works on reward pathways through dopamine, same reward pathways as drugs like cocaine. So there's the stress factor precipitating the habits of it, and then there's also the cravings that get set up by how uh, you know we we develop something where we like a certain candy or, or a cookie or a or a chocolate bar that you want to keep eating. And all of these things are working in our brain, and it becomes very hard to break that cycle. So, you know, the more we can take a step back, practice some mindfulness, understand what's going on emotionally, therapy, extremely helpful for people. I I wish more people would would do therapy because just an exploration with a trusted person of your emotional health in those situations can be so valuable towards changing a food choice that you make. Um, And then, you know, if you go, you go down a path of how do we start to move away from that emotional eating or that habit we've picked up during COVID to, to help our better uh, our better mental
0: health a, a huge problem for most people right now is anxiety so I feel I'm not yeah. going to go into every single chapter of the book but in terms of sure. like some trigger foods that perhaps mm-hmm. we should be looking out for and again I just want to give a little sort of taste of sure. what's in your book to encourage people to, to get it if you could like talk a little bit about some uh, anxiety-triggering foods. I think that would be really helpful for our listeners. Absolutely.
1: So, um, you know, you won't be surprised by this, but, you know, a lot of added refined sugars are in many foods, but also savoury foods like ketchup or tomato sauce, pasta sauces that are store-bought, salad dressings. So it's not just the sodium that we should be worrying about or the calories, it's actually also the sugar that just precipitates those those cycles we spoke about then the added uh, preservatives stabilizes food colorants and dyes in processed ultra processed sort of junk foods it's very hard at this day and age Gabby, to not come upon cross box packaged food or processed food but you know we can make cleaner choices we can make slightly better choices look at the label you know if it's it's lots of words you don't recognize and a huge number of ingredients Probably not the best choice for you. Um, even if the label says, you know, healthy this and natural that, or even gluten free, people fall into that trap as well. So look at labels, understand that processed, ultra processed junk foods are not good artificial sweetness can worsen anxiety. For the most part, they, they are not good for anxiety. They're disruptive to the gut. There, there are some newer ones that are being studied at the moment, which have some, some promise, but for the most part, the ones we're used to in sugar-free foods and sugar-free sodas are not great for us. Um, and then it's, you know, things like the trans fats and foods, the, the unhealthy fats um, that can worsen things. Um, and, you know, so so start with. You know being aware of those now coffee and caffeine are otherwise healthy for our body but anxiety studies show that really consuming less than 400 milligrams a day better for people with anxiety but this is where you need to pay attention to body intelligence one of the principles and pillars in nutritional psychiatry if you drink a cup of coffee and you start to feel jittery and you are struggling with anxiety it may not be the best choice for you so you need to come off coffee limited cut back or just give it up completely over time but a lot of people who can tolerate one or two cups um, have it early in the day can actually do okay because it has other health benefits Um, same thing with alcohol you know these are these are um, things that people drink and they have some benefits um, but at the same time in moderation you know what people add to their coffee, like my patient bowl, becomes important. What people add to their alcohol becomes important. So all of those factors are things you can look at and start to think, you know, where can I start to kind of clean this up a little bit?
0: Mm. And then on the flip side in terms of what can we add to our diet, I already mentioned turmeric because I I do get anxious and sometimes it manifests in in a panic attack. So for depression and anxiety, turmeric is, is a big one. Um, what else would you it recommend? Is. So, you know, for
1: anxiety, uh, certainly vitamin D-rich foods have uh, been thought to be helpful, um, leaning into, um, you know, those uh, fiber-rich foods. I always say when, you know, when it comes to anxiety, fiber is your friend. And why do I say that? Because fiber-rich foods break down more slowly in the body. They leave your blood sugar on a more even keel. They keep you filled and satiated. And you think get fiber from vegetables, some fruit. My favorite are berries, which are low glycemic, in other words, lower sugar load, um, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, lentils, and healthy whole grains. So lean into those fiber-rich foods. And also you, look for foods that nurture those gut microbes like prebiotic foods. these can be found in garlic leeks onions oats bananas um, and several other foods that you know you can start to add in think about a soup that you're making over winter you know you use garlic leeks onions just as your base so that's a good one to think about because prebiotic fiber those foods actually nurture the gut microbes that live in your gut microbiome and really help make them function at their peak. So eating those foods becomes important. Another factor for us to understand with several mental health conditions, including anxiety, is that some of the underlying causes are thought to be inflammation. And I'm referring to the slow, insidious inflammation that gets set up in the gut through how we eat. And one way to fend that out, a study published in Cell, uh, a very prestigious journal, in August of this year, from researchers at Stanford, said that and showed that an unexpected finding that fermented foods actually load inflammation. So adding in some kimchi, some miso, some kefir, uh, most cultures have a fermented food, you know, to your diet is actually healthy because it fends off that inflammation, and any inflammation in you've got that exists will start to be healed over time because that inflammation could actually be worse than your anxiety without you realizing it
0: wow in terms of inflammation like you can see it physically sometimes in the body but not obviously when it's going on in the brain so like what are some of the signs to look out for that we we might have some inflammation in the brain is a brain fog one of them
1: Yes, brain fog is definitely one of them, and in fact, some of the recent research in long-hauler syndrome of those individuals who survived COVID, many many of them actually are suffering with brain fog. So, this is you know where people feel sluggish, they can't, they feel like they can't focus, they um, they're losing attention, they can't concentrate, they're not remembering things, They really have almost a feeling of cloudiness, and uh, food can be effective. You know there are. Um, anti, uh, certain antioxidants, which fend off brain fog. And one of those antioxidants is called luteolin. So, you know, food is powerful in terms of um, how we can adapt our bodies and fend off this inflammation. Adding in those fermented foods becomes important uh, to our diet. Adding in the, the fiber-rich foods, because all of that is healing the gut. And that's going to help to fend off any
0: of those other symptoms which will come up Mm. and just sort of on the subject of brain fog and and your chapter where you coupled dementia and brain fog together you believe that um, if we consume the right foods it can actually dramatically slow down cognitive decline and we can actually boost our memory by eating the right way as well
1: Absolutely. You know, I think that one of the things we need to really start rethinking about Alzheimer's and, and cognitive problems is that we wait, we sort of think about number one, we think about it as uh, a disease and condition of our parents, our grandparents, and older folk. It's actually a disease of the brain. So it applies to every single one of us. Um, that's the one thing. The second is that. One of the things that researchers in Alzheimer's talk about is that many of us may be walking around with some early brain changes that are not manifesting yet. When they do manifest at whatever age a person is, it's often quite late to then start catching and, and fixing these symptoms because technically we have not found a cure for Alzheimer's in conditions like that. So how about we we rethink it in this way? We know that inflammation and specifically neuroinflammation or inflammation in the brain is really linked to these conditions. And one thing that we can rectify is the food that we're eating because that can fend off and tampen down that inflammation from developing further and actually help to reverse it. So it's one factor in the development of conditions like Alzheimer's that we can control. And I think that's something we really need to be rethinking more powerfully and realizing that just by eating anti-inflammatory foods, by tapping into those veggies, tapping into those fiber-rich foods, um, and still eating the proteins of your choice. You know, I'm I'm diet agnostic, so whether you eat seafood, whether you eat chicken, whether you, you know, I just want you to have a balance. And I really care about the source of your food, if it's possible to Go for better sourced food because all of those things make a difference. And if economic access is a problem, I understand that. But then just at least try eating healthier. I'd much rather you cook something at home than eat at a fast food restaurant because of the processed vegetable oils, another big driver of inflammation. Um, You know, another thing to be concerned about when you're consuming fast foods because those are very pro inflammatory because of the less expensive oils they tend to use.
0: And as you mentioned before, too much coffee or caffeine isn't great for anxiety. But in terms of slowing down cognitive decline, three to five cups of coffee a day is, is what you recommend? You know, there's, it
1: is. Absolutely. So, so those are guidelines. The book has a lot of guidelines based on the research that I've reviewed. And in nutrition science, things change and evolve all the time. So what I'd like to offer guidance around that is it has become even more highly personalized than at the point of writing the book, because someone may, you know, that was what the research showed, but someone may do better with just adding three cups of coffee early in the day, um, you know, and, and, and guiding themselves that way. But caffeine was found to be a very powerful
0: um, helper in Mm. this regard. So does that mean, because I'm British and a lot of our listeners are British, does tea black drinking black tea because we love our builders tea over here is that as effective as coffee you know certainly um it's an option
1: i think that the tea so tea has many many health benefits you know I, i cite Chamomile tea and anxiety, lavender and teas that actually can be extremely helpful in these conditions. When you talk about a traditional black tea, it definitely has benefits. I would really have to dig into uh, the research around that and the cognitive studies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, off the top of my head, I'm not sure that I could just easily mm-hmm. replace that. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I know I have family in the UK and they love, you know, love, love drinking tea. Oh, yes. Um, So, yeah, exactly. So, I think, you know, it's something we can look into.
0: That's cool. Um, so, for now, maybe if we want to give ourselves the best chances, we should get, maybe increase a little bit more coffee into our
1: Yeah, you know, and alternate it. You know, if you have a cup of tea in the morning and maybe alternate it for the cup of coffee,
0: mm-hmm.
1: start to introduce it and
0: be wary of what you add to your
1: coffee, you know, and, um, could maybe add that in and uh, see how
0: it goes. Hmm. I just wanted to make sure I re- read out this sentence um, because I've bookmarked it from the book. No matter how old you are, it's never too late or too early to start eating in a way that gives you the best possible chance of starving off dementia. I mean, that is just such, it's a phenomenal thing to because dementia is scary and it, it touches us all. I don't know many people that, you know, that don't know somebody that, has dementia exactly in terms of children their brains are still developing and i noticed on your website you have written some really great blogs on kids and nutrition and eating for their brains but it's so hard isn't it because they're so picky and um Mm -hmm. and stubborn (laughs) And so, what's what? Do you have any magic tricks there? I mean, I think of like my own nephew, and he has. On top of that, he has autism, which is another hurdle. I know for a lot of mm-hmm. parents who have autistic kids, they're they're even more stubborn and even more picky a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so so important for their brains, isn't it, to get the nutrition? And then you think about children's TV shows and on the commercials they're mm-hmm. constantly being bombarded with adverts for a mcdonald's happy meal right happy meals and
1: you know cereals that are sugar laden uh, and that kind of stuff so you know it is hard and i, I do want to say that you know conditions like autism um, and things like that sometimes part of the actual condition involves sort of Fixations on certain shapes and colors and foods and things like that. So it's a deeper dive into um, into exploring what the best choices are. But in general, you know, guidelines around just helping our children be healthy eaters. I, I really feel involving them in the process. I I strongly recommend meal prep to most families if they can pick out a day, or a couple of hours in the week that work for your schedule and involve the children in that, so they start to see fresh veggies, fruit, um, you know, um, nuts. Uh, berries, um, you know, whatever sources of protein you're buying, whether that be tofu or chicken, whichever, they start to see that they're part of the process. Um, and it, that's that's a very big part of it. Another part of it is, you know, start to see how you can introduce them to new flavors and textures. Um, I did a blog with um, Giada De Laurentiis, the um for Halloween. And we really thought how to make fruit and using dark chocolate, which dark, natural, raw chocolate is actually a healthy brain ingredient, mm-hmm. but mixing that with berries or making a mousse in a different way, making some so-called treats. Um, I always say, you know, what we consider treats are not treats for the brain, but taking what we traditionally consider a treat mm-hmm. and making it a healthy version for kids. Mm-hmm. That's one trick with, with the sweet tooth. Um But when it comes to regular foods, you're know, adding in um, using an air fryer oven, Making colorful crisps, you know. So instead of the regular potato chip, how about, you know zucchini crisps in an air fryer oven or even oven roasted mm. carrot chips, you know, different colors. Introducing them to hummus, but making a hummus made from beets or carrots with with color, with bright colors in them. Adding a little bit of avocado. For the good uh, fiber, uh, protein, and omega threes um, that you get from, from these, uh, you know, from these types of uh, healthy healthy fats, so make it different. You know, you can give them the traditional hummus, uh, and then have have them learn to eat cut kind of veggies with that. Make it bright and colorful veggies that are interesting for them. It's almost how you start to introduce the idea. Now, if they hate it and they don't want to do it, maybe you call it a monster green dip. You add spinach or a, mm. you know, a, a, a uh, you know, a, a beet tip that's, you know, has some blood and gore that that kids love or whatever it is, you know, some <laughs> yes. kids love it, not everyone, but, but some, something that engages them in that process and, you know, opt out of the pretzels and the, the crackers that they dipped for fresh veggies, you know, make, make it interesting that way, um, start to, if they, if you make them occasionally make them a smoothie, Call it, call it a milkshake but add in some spinach you know spinach and chia seeds and and whatever else you're adding to it so it makes it interesting but you're also putting some nutrients i don't you know believe that it should live on smoothies but once in a while it's
0: a great way to introduce something mm, i love that if as we wrap up this conversation you say it's never too late to learn how to cook optimally mm-hmm. For our health. This is a bit of a cheesy question, but I think it's a good jumping off point for um, people to start thinking about um, upping the nutrition intake in their food. So I wanted to know from you, Dr. Uma, um, if you were stranded on a desert island and could only access, say, eight to 10 foods and spices, what would you take with you to just give yourself the best shot?
1: So I happen to uh, be, have been raised vegetarian. It was just the family that I grew up uh, uh, with. Uh, Other members of my family eat anything. So I'm pretty much open to choices, but if it were just for me, I'd probably go with vegetarian-based choices because that's what I eat. I also, um, so I would, you know, definitely take my turmeric and black pepper. my capsaicin from the chili, chili powder, chili peppers. Um, I would take things like rosemary thyme because uh, with herbs, I could, I could maybe find some vegetables and forage them and, you know, cook with, with delicious spices. Um, I would want my chia seeds, my flax seeds, uh, you know, cause I love the chia pudding that I have for breakfast. And I love a range of a rich vegetables. So cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, they're hearty they Filling, I could spice them nicely and make them more flavorful. Um, I would want to take some avocado oil with me because uh, I, I tend to roast using avocado oil. And um, I'd love blueberries. That's one of my go to favorite, you know, uh, uh, candies. And of course, dark chocolate, extra dark natural chocolate, uh, rich in serotonin, magnesium, great for your brain, source of prebiotic fiber. So it's uh,
0: oh, those wow. are. I don't know if I named ten, those would be my, my, my go-tos. My mouth is watering. Oh, my, my leafy greens, my leafy greens, okay. of course. I forget those because I
1: because they're rich and poorly. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, I know that if I was to be stranded on a desert island, I'd take you. <laughs> you can take me with you and then I know I'd eat well um Dr Uma this has been amazing I, I could talk to you forever thank you so much and again your book the food mood connection or I gifted my friend your book in the U.S. and it's called this is your brain on food thank you thank um, you so much yeah it's it's a book that everybody should have in their back pocket for sure and yeah thank you again and uh, have a lovely Christmas because that's coming up isn't it <laughs> that's right
1: thank you so much David. It's a pleasure to talk to you and thanks for supporting my work
0: Oh, thanks again to Dr. Uma for such a wonderful conversation. And as I mentioned, Christmas is coming up. So if you're going to gift yourself anything this year, make it the Food Mood Connection. You will not regret it. And that, my friends, concludes another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. I've been Gabby. Really, really appreciate your time as always. If you're not following us on Instagram, we are at mypossibleself. I'll see you for the next one. Until then, take care.